Welcome to Zane's World. I'm joined today by Erica. Hey, guys. Who, um, as you may know, runs Adventure with me. Um, she is the beating heart and soul of... And that's all I wrote. That's all I have written. And then we have Steve. Steve is back. Steve has been with us for a while. Steve, how's it going out there in Philly? Oh, if I was any better, I'd have to pinch myself. Well, pinch, pinch. Erica. I wanted to pinch you. Beep. Oh, my God. So this is something I wanted to talk about. So I'm glad that you said that really weird non sequitur. I have with me today two people who always seem upbeat to me. Like, I can never find Steve in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. And Erica, I try to get her in a bad mood, and she doesn't get into bad mood. She just gets sassy. <laughs> so so before we move on to our guests, which, by the way, we have amazing guests. We have Todd Garner, uh, an amazing... Awesome uh, dude. Yes. A Hollywood producer, has an amazing podcast that I was on. His podcast also comes out this week. And we kind of talk, and then we stop. And then you can listen to the rest on his podcast. We kind of continue the conversation. Is it like a podcast circuit? You got guests. You go on their show. They come on your show. It's just kind of like this whole inner circle of uh, podcasts. Yeah, it's like a circle cast. Circle cast. Yeah, circle cast. And so, yeah, so Todd is amazing. And then also I do a quick uh, uh, interview with the writers of 22 Hours, uh, An American Nightmare. I'll get to that in a second, but it is – you'll want to hear that because it's incredible. So – Todd is amazing. He is such an accomplished guy and such a down-to-earth guy mm. and was really a pleasure to have here. You know what? He kind of reminds me of the YouTube jerks. Like Aww, because because he nice. just he just walked in and he's like a breath of fresh air. I mean, here's this uber successful guy who didn't Uber. I think he drove his Ferrari here, but like he's an incredibly successful guy. And has, I'm sure, a lot of stresses with all the movies he has produced and is currently in the middle of producing, mm-hmm. which you'll hear about that in in, the, in his interview. But then with you guys, too, I, I want to know how you guys stay positive all the time. Let's start with Erica, I know, <laughs> because I, I mean, the only reason I know is because Steve's having a rough week, which is the first time in a long time I've, yes, I've been there. But like, and we won't get into the details. What did details. I just say? I said, let's not talk about this. Well, you said don't. You said it's don't. the first thing you talk about. You said don't like talk, get personal. Like, don't talk about the reason. a great fucking week. Yeah. <laughs> See, there he is. He just needed to be brought back. <laughs> That's back. all. Yeah. Like, are you serious? You want to know? Or? Yeah, I don't. What is your secret? <laughs> is it really like, are you just, are you wired Right. Well, I believe you can rewire yourself to be positive. On a daily basis. I think that it's a habit that you do and like things you can do for like maybe three weeks I did to rewire my brain to see more positivity. Wow. What like, are you talking about? There's no secrets. What are you talking like about? Did, was it like the landmark forum or was it like differently? a retreat? Did you go yeah. on a vacation? Did you kill somebody? I mean, all of the above except for the last one. Okay, got it. Um, yeah, I think someone? the landmark forum helped a lot with it. There's yeah. a book um, that helped a lot with it. I What's it called? The title right now. Wasn't that good. Um, but it's about how you can, unfortunately we're wired to see negative first. And if you rewire your brain to see positive, it'll start firing to see positivity first. And so it's like doing a journal every night of like, what three things are you grateful for in the last 24 hours? Do you write a journal? Yeah. Every night, Derek and I, my husband tell each other what we're grateful for in the last 24 hours. Oh my God. And it has rewired my brain to be a more positive person. So with, those skill sets that I've done in the past years of my life, I now do feel like every day I wake up choosing positivity or gratitude. Um, and I think that just makes me a happier person, um, authentically because I've put in the work to, um, discover that in myself. So, um, okay, Steve, that was, I mean, (laughs) but, but Steve, there is something there because, you know what I mean? Like Steve is always like we had Trent Shelton on, on the podcast mm-hmm. and he is a motivational speaker and he was saying a lot of things that you're saying. If, by the way, if you've not heard that that episode, go and listen to it. I promise you. Can we do, redo it, that episode so I can be on that one? Just it was because, good. It was yeah. like it was like therapy and yeah. I opened up and it, but it was like it was just about getting rid of negativity. Yeah. And maybe like you're right, like not seeing it like, you know, my grandmother, uh, rest her soul, uh, uh, was just was just uh, she was a grump. You know what I mean? Like you knew that like it was, you know, an old person is just grumpy and you know, like a portion of it is sarcastic, but it doesn't matter because you're always carrying around this grumpy sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. And I, and she would often like see the glass, like literally see this glass as half empty. empty mm-hmm. And I just didn't understand that. And I, I like to think that I like to think that I'm like you guys, a breath of fresh air, but I know all of my internal shit. So I don't know if I, come across, if I if I come across like that, mm-hmm. but maybe you guys know me too well, so you guys have seen. Although I know you guys too well too, and you guys always seem upbeat. Anyway, Steve, what's your secret? 
I mean, I just try not to let any of my conflicts or anything like that kind of, you know, encroach on someone else's day. I mean, if I'm if I'm having a shitty day or if I'm uh, in a bad mood, I just find a way to be positive because, you know, why why do why does anyone want to talk to me if I'm I'm being a dick? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, yeah, I agree. And I and I, I think to- that be, I think that is coming from a place of being able to not be selfish. And I think when, like Steve is saying, he is able to put someone else first, mm-hmm. which is his driving force to be positive. And sometimes when we're in our own heads and in our own shit, that's kind of a selfish way to be. It's like, I, I don't care how I come across with someone else. I don't care if I affect their day poorly. I don't care. I don't care. It's being rude at service industries. It's being rude at, um, on the phone to like telemarketers. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't need them to feel worse just because I am feeling bad. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really um, selfless way to be, Steve, is to make sure that you're um, ensuring they're having a better day than you potentially would. I I think that switches your perspective. I had a friend that we went out to dinner and he asked for no cilantro, said he was allergic to it. (laughs) This is a good story. And, and, Uh And then his food showed up and it had cilantro on it. And he went off mm-hmm. on this waitress, and she's like, "Sir, that's oregano." And she's like, "I went and told the the, the chef what you said." Oh, he said, "We gosh. don't even put cilantro on anything, and that is oregano. So if that's not okay, I can send it back." He's like, "Oh," and but he didn't even apologize to oh. her or anything like that. And I was just like, "That I, regardless, I wouldn't." And so one time when I was cooking something, <laughs> uh, don't don't tell me you put cilantro uh-huh. in this food. Uh huh. No, 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 <laughs> actually, no, I wasn't cooking it, but someone was cooking and I knew it had cilantro and he didn't ask and I didn't say, didn't hey, say anything sure and he ate, a, he ate a fistful of cilantro and nothing, nothing happened. happened to him. Yeah. He just didn't like <laughs> it. I was, I was there with, with my, you know, epinephrine in case I needed to resuscitate him, but I just, I knew, like, yeah. I could tell, he was just like, being an ass. he was just being mm-hmm. an asshole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Does that. So anyway, taking you guys and your positivity and using that as a segue into this guest. So Todd Garner. Uh, you're going to learn all about him, and he has an amazing podcast, which you should uh, listen to, whether you're in the industry or not. So this is my interview with Todd Garner. Let's give it up for True Car beep, beep. for supporting this episode of Zane's World with True Car. Beep, beep. 60 seconds is all you'll need to get an offer for your car in the amount it takes you to... <laughs> Amount of time it takes you to brush your teeth, pet your multiple cats, or do a few sit-ups, you can get a true cash offer. But best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or even your home. Go to True Car beep, beep. and simply enter in your license plate number and watch how your car's beep, beep. Vroom, vroom. <laughs> details <laughs> pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate true cash offer from a local True Car beep, beep. certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring in your car. and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a a new ride. You guys are both... (laughs) So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car... Check out True Car beep, beep. today. True Cash offer not available in all areas. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday now offering same day delivery at totalwine.com cheers make sure to stick around after this podcast to get the latest headlines from the ap news minute attention true crime fans check out 22 hours an american nightmare on podcast one it was a case the nightmares are made of a family is held hostage for nearly 24 hours and murdered inside their own home wtop examines the complicated trail of evidence that police say led to finding their killer and why they say he committed such a brutal crime download new episodes of 22 hours an american nightmare on apple Podcasts and podcast one like what you hear tell your friends and leave a rating and review Welcome back to Zane's World. All right, my guest right now, Todd Garner, host of the podcast, The Producer's Guide, Todd Garner and the Hollywood Elite, which is kind of strange because I'm going to be a guest on your next episode. You're going to, you're Hollywood Elite. But who, 
who paid you money to to say what you just said? Because I'm going to quote that. No. Now nobody. on my headshots, which I haven't had a headshot in ten years, <laughs> I'm going to put that you said I'm one of the Hollywood. No, Hollywood nobody. Stars. I I'm, I just told you off mic that you have my dream jobs, all of them. Like if I could build a career, it would be to travel and be a host and well, that's why you drink. That's why you do a podcast is so you can start <laughs> to follow my footsteps. Exactly right. I'm just um, trying to get there one beat at a time. So to, to sort of set you up, I'll tell you things you already know about yourself. You spent a, de- a decade at uh, at Disney. Yep. Uh, was that when Dick Cook was there? Yeah, I was there with Dick Cook, and uh, I I started very shortly after Pretty Woman was released. Oh wow! And then left right before Pirates of the Caribbean started shooting. Oh wow! So, so okay. that that decade of Jeffrey and Michael and that. I and, I, and again, I was t- talking to you before we started recording, which that's all that was all the good stuff, right? <laughs> um, that I actually when I was at this place called Santa Monica Studios. I wrote this this film and I pitched directly because the guy that was working for me, brother that I worked for, knew him, whatever, and, Dick? I, and yeah, Dick, and yeah. he came over to Santa Monica Studios, and I did a half hour pitch directly to him of this animated show, and he's like, "I love it, I'll t- we'll take it." Wow! And then the guy I worked for uh, just messed it up. <laughs> so it's you know, Dick started at Disney. He was the uh, conductor for the train yes. at Disneyland. That is so. The guy amazing. was there for I think fifty five years or something as the as the conductor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he worked. <laughs> His, he worked it all his whole life. He worked all the way up to guess, chairman of the studio. But so that's that's a, a question that I have for you because you, if, unless I'm wrong, like your first like Hollywood job was working at uh, the – was it Paramount for the Arsenio yeah. Hall Show? My first Hollywood job, yeah, was and working. And you were in the accounting department. Yeah. I was an accountant for the Arsenio Hall Show. I mean I was an accountant in, in fact. I was an accountant for – uh, Paramount Domestic Television, but my the show I was assigned to was the Arsenio Hall show. And and when you were there, were you happy? Like, had you were you at a? What was your background in? Well, I my, I grew up in San Fernando, very okay, east and north of here, and I uh, went to public high school. And I first thought I was going to be be an architect until I had to do drafting, and there were no girls in the class. Okay. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm out. And then my buddy had taken a theater class, an improv class, and he goes, "You got to come here, man. It's great. It's just the girls are phenomenal and it's fun." So, all right. So I checked it out, and I've never looked back. I just loved theater. I loved all of it. And so I thought for a while I went to Occidental College. I thought I was going to be a uh, maybe a director, mm-hmm. and then I became an editor, and then. I did, none of that was really starting to appeal to me, and I then I sort of came upon the idea of becoming a producer at some point. So went to work at Wells Fargo Bank, and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> because, it, it will, it will, yeah. Because I wanted to get a, maybe a business degree because I didn't know anybody. Nobody in my family is in the movie business. Okay. Nobody knew anybody. So I was going to go to uh, uh, Stanford Business School, and, and I never made it because my father. In, in an insane bit of luck, happened to be playing golf with one guy in in the television business, uh, this guy Bob Sheehan. And the way that my resume kind of laid out, it looked like this is the job I had worked my whole life for. I had a degree in economics, a degree in film. I was an editor. Got it. And then I had a business thing from Wells Fargo for two years. So he goes, I have the perfect job for him. It's this job in domestic television. He can be an accountant and he understands production. Were you on the lot? Yeah. So that, that was exciting. No, it was amazing. Yeah. So like, how, how old are you this time? God, I was probably in your twenties. Yeah, twenty three. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, wow. And so playing basketball with Jason Bateman, like mm-hmm. at the gym and being on the lot. Then I heard about this job called a creative executive, which sounded great because I wanted to be both those things. Okay. And so that sounds miles up from. Yeah. Well, oh, okay. I mean, it was okay. For got sure. it. Okay. And the way to do that was to become an, an assistant. Basically, is probably the best way in. Got but ahead. I had never read a script. I'd never read a screenplay. So I uh, went to a, a UCLA extension class taught by Bob Greenblatt, who's now the chairman of Warner Brothers, uh-huh. <laughs> and the, all, all, all the entire place. By the way, I, I went and did one of those courses. I yeah. just did one just sort of like a what, – what was the course? It was called Story Development. It was taught by Bob, and he taught me how to read screenplays. Like a night class? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'd go to work at you know Paramount all day, and then I would leave there and go to UCLA and take these classes – uh, this class and uh, and then uh, b- being on the lot, I found out that uh, Columbia Pictures, these guys, this one guy needed needed an assistant. 
went in and interviewed and got the job. And so I was an an assistant. By the way, every job I took, I made less money. (laughs) So as an editor, and then I was a loan officer at a bank, and then I was an accountant, and now I'm an assistant. I was making like 400 gross dollars a week. And so uh, I figured that probably would be the worst it was going to get. Were you treated well or poorly by the executive? Well, the executive now owns a, owns his own talent agency. He was admittedly not a great executive. Okay. And so it was great to watch because I would watch and I, ooh, I would think, ooh, I wouldn't have done it that way, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, But he treated you okay? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, yeah, everybody. It was, it, And then that was exactly the time that Peter Goober and John Peters took over Columbia yep. Pictures. That was amazing uh-huh. to watch the money that they've spent, you know, refurbishing the lot and all that. And then I went to Disney as a creative executive. Finally, it was this like the kind of U-turn. How many take. years from Arsenio to Disney? Uh, two. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I was only assistant for like eighteen months. And you and you made less money. I made, and, then, and then finally, <laughs> I, yeah. And then finally, as a creative executive, I made as much as I had made I was gonna as say, an accountant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I then I just stayed there and worked my way. You know, out. it's one of those things. And uh, I was at. Uh, uh, when I first signed with Endeavor, which, by the way, was 2003. Who's your agent? At that time was Sean Perry. Oh, right on. Yeah. Dan or Sean. And, uh, and his assistant. And what did, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> who that, who are gonna, you, Zaino? Now we're going to interview <laughs> yeah. each other. What did, you, um, what, what did you sign as a comedian, as a stand-up? Um, so I, a buddy of mine and uh, I um, wrote uh, – actually, we wrote and shot this thing called uh, – Hollywood Angels, which was these um, uh, our hands in the shot. So he he worked at Mattel doing commercials, and I was like doing hosting stuff and you know trying to get stuff figured out. And and so he was out there doing commercials at Mattel and had access to Mattel, like all the toys down by the airport. Right. And so um, we can we like came up with an idea to shoot something with the dolls because usually it was like. Barbie meets Ken, whatever, and we're like Barbie kills Ken, whatever, <laughs> and came up with this like this you know love triangle murder suicide whole thing, and then and then showed it around to people, and then uh, signed with um, like a deal with Renegade eighty three. Uh, they did Blind Date, uh-huh, uh, sure, and uh, and then uh, this is funny that people don't know the story. And you're turning this interview around on me, which is good. Sorry, no, should, no, no. Maybe we should just do this for no, two hours no. and just, <laughs> just and it, release it just, as a box just set. Cut it in half. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, well, anyway, so then that got interest from, uh, then we, we made another one with a little bit more money, uh, more comedic and then comedy central wanted it. Actually, no, we showed it to renegade when we're done with it. They brought it to endeavor and then endeavor wanted to shop it around. You guys are the next South park and all this kind of stuff and whatever. And then I had also at, that was the same time that I had gotten three sheets travel drinking show so endeavor was like we got to get these guys and definitely zane so signed with them and and then uh do you remember greg Haranjik over no, there no. okay that's right you didn't miss much uh and then so he <laughs> Somewhere worked greg yeah, like, he, yeah, <laughs> yeah um and so uh evo who was who was like uh, coming up at that point uh with sean we i signed with him 2003 still with him just saw him a few days ago in Maui. It was, it's crazy. That is crazy. Um, anyway, how did you do that? You turned the whole thing around Sorry. on me. Um, so, <laughs> so, well, okay. I was going to say, that I forget the guy's name. Boyington or something like that? Anyway, he was, he was Sean Perry's assistant at the time, 2003 or four, whatever. And he, when he became an agent... Whoa! He was just like he was so mean. Oh no! To, to his to his uh, assistant, his assistants, and and so I think we were with him for a while or something, whatever. And I was just like, I can't. The guy was like, bring me bring me water, like you know, like that. And they would come wow. in with water and you pour water. I was like, but no. Not cold. You know I drink it warm. Get it out of here. Oh, You're just shit. like, oh my god, that's not good. no red M and M's. You know what though? That is honestly. Uh, just turning it back to my podcast for a second, and it, it, it is part of the reason I. And there's a bunch of turn it reasons. back to your podcast forever because this is about you. Uh, I know. Sorry, uh, <laughs> the, I'm not used to it. So the, uh, the, the the there's a million reasons why I do my podcast, but mm-hmm. but one of which in the top ten is that exact reason is that there's so many assholes in mm-hmm. Hollywood, and there's so many people that are just do dumb shit and bad shit, and I and I, I can curse right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. And so, because uh, I do a lot. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I did that on yours. That you you beep it. So yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I, maybe I should stop. Yeah. You sound that. like a sailor. I do. It's crazy. It sounds worse when <laughs> yeah, I beep it. Right. I don't. Be- it's not like I physically beep it, by the way. So uh, 
and, and, you know, and all this stuff with Harvey Weinstein, all this stuff with the cast. I just really wanted to put a different face on it because, mm-hmm. like, I don't know those guys. Like, I mean, I know them, but those guys aren't guys that I hang out with or or, or revere or mm-hmm. like I'm a fan of. The guys I'm a fan of, the the producers that I'm buddies with, they're great guys. They work hard. Mm-hmm. There's not an asshole in the bunch, really. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because coming up through the ranks through Disney, there was a period of time where that like bottle throwing, you know, pompous, like big, you know, Tom was, Cruise it guy. Like, it was like, in, yeah, right. I don't mean Tom Cruise. I mean, you know, from, Tom, uh, Tropic, Tropic Thunder. Thunder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was, I worked with all they those were, guys. But they, and they were, they were enabled to the point. Cause I, yeah. I, I came across them too. Yeah. They were enabled to the point where they almost felt like they had to do it. Yeah. But you always could see this little spark of like, it was a joke or yeah. it was like, I'm, I'm, I, like it's tongue in cheek in a way. Oh, I, you know what I mean? Larry, like, Larry, they're, they're pushing you as yeah, hard as they can. Larry Gordon, who's one of the great producers of all time, has produced you know every big action movie from Die Hard to you know The Warriors. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. He and I had, we did Hellboy together, and I, yeah, I picked up the phone. Hey, and he's just, just lit me up. I and I can't remember exactly what it was. And he lit me up for honestly about four minutes. I was like, Jesus. It was just, I go, Your initial call or a call? In- he called me okay. to yell at me about something. Okay. <laughs> and I was the the head of the studio. I mean, you know, I was partners with Joe Roth and, and Tom Sherrick and Rob Moore, and I was the, you know, head of production. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like he was yelling at, you know, a, a lower level guy. I was the guy. And so he's just lighting me up. And I go, Larry, like, why? Fine. Why are you yelling at me? He goes, I'm not yelling at you. I, if, I, if I was yelling at you, boy, you'd know it. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> thank God. What does that sound thank, like? Yeah. Well, thank God I'm not being yelled at because, man, that felt like yelling to me a lot. Oh, That's yeah. just the way these guys grew up. So my generation, I think I think we have – That is it, isn't it? It is, it is a bit generally. Well, and now, yeah. I mean now it's even, even better for people because that's just not tolerated. Yeah, right. But my generation, we just decided not to do it because – we're all buddies. I mean, like I grew up with all the guys that are on my, if you just go on my podcast, like every producer, yeah. you know, uh-huh. is all buddies of mine. Yeah. In fact, Ben Lyons said to me, he goes, Hey Garner, it must be fun just to be able to do a podcast where you're just drinking beers with your buddies. And like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm just telling stories with my, my buddies. I feel like hopefully people will be interested. But, and I've, and I've, and I've listened to the podcast and I think that you being, uh, friends with them, it, it, it just skips so many steps of breaking down barriers and like barriers and like let's just be real. Can we yeah. just be real so yeah. that people listening get some actual takeaway from it? I hope so. I mean, I have a a lot of my favorite thing is when uh, that uh, I you know someone calls me and says, "Oh, I have so and so on the line," and I go, "Okay," and they go, "Hey, before you, he picks up, I just gotta say, man, I love your podcast. Oh, like an assistant or something. I just love that. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm hoping that people get something out of it. Because yeah. I, by the way, I'm learning a ton. How else would you you could you could be friends with people and not have the sort of venue to ask them the questions you're asking them, right? And also. Back when, go back 10, 20 years, or when I moved out here, I think 23, 24 years ago, you know, I would have had to go to Samuel French and yeah. and get a book about producing or something like that. that yeah. That's a lot more difficult to put it down in words rather than just having a, a beer and a conversation with somebody. Well, I love it. Uh, I, I love what I do, and I love the job, mm-hmm. and I feel like uh, the job has been devalued to such a point where it's – it just it's not fair and i feel like i need to uh fight against that rhetoric and so and i and i i'm a student of it man i love making movies i love movies and i love the craft of making movies i mean i can nerd out on the dumb well let's shit. let's talk about that cuz i want to talk about what it is that you do but before that i'll i'll list some of it's funny cuz i i had to i went through a lot of your credits so I went to different places to find, and every time I'd, I'd come a new source, there'd be a new credit. I was like, "Oh, okay, I didn't know you did that one." It's like because at this point, you and it's it's a fun fact to say, like you have definitely box office. You your movies have made well over a billion dollars. Oh yeah, which is a cool thing to sort of. To be fair, there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, well, they add up. Yeah, they <laughs> add up. That's, that's, fine. that's fine. Well, well, Paul Blart. I mean, that yeah. was like 170, right? Box yeah, office. Yeah. Um, Tag, which I was telling you before, Thank that you. I, I I love that movie. Thank you. Uh, my wife and I watched it, and then the next day we were you know sitting on TV like, what do we watch? I'm like, well, let's watch it again. And oh, so, my friend would say, oh yeah, I own that movie. I was like, what do you mean you own that movie? <laughs> like you 
you downloaded it? Like, yeah, I downloaded it. Well, you don't – okay, you don't own the movie. It's just like whatever. It's just a weird thing to say. Uh, Into the Storm, which, by the way, uh, John Reap, yes. who played one of the, the hicks in, in that movie. He's the best. I just saw him in uh, in, in Hawaii. That was I think that was funny because we talked about that on his podcast, that movie, because I like that movie as well. That's a fun one. Yeah. Uh, Here Comes the Boom, Paul Bart 1 and 2. Yeah. Kevin James and I went to the same college. Oh, yeah. Uh, different times. He's before me. Sure. But uh, Cortland State College. Right, uh, just the mecca of transients. <laughs> yeah, no, he talks about it definitely. So it made him a comedian. Now, obviously, you yeah. guys are all in good company. Well, you have to be. Either you leave a drunk, uh, a gym teacher, or a comedian, <laughs> or all three. You're all three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, he. So it's funny. It goes, uh, and they've ranked it. So it goes uh, him, and then uh, uh, mankind, the wrestler. Sure, and then uh, me. Third, All right, third, on. third place. I'll take it. Do they have like a plaque for for you up at the school no, or something? No, but check this out. It's in Syracuse. They do. So I'm from Syracuse. All right, on. Uh, I didn't go to SU. I went to Cortland, which is about eh, 40 minutes south. And in Syracuse, the the Syracuse Post Standard, like the paper, ranked the the top 100 celebrities associated with Syracuse, and that was number 87. <laughs> But to put it in context, I thought it was fifty. Right? Well, led, <laughs> listen, listen. I, I won't go through the whole list, but just know it starts with Tom Cruise. Well, shit. All right. Well, there you go. See, here you go. And now all of them are of that caliber, right? Anyway, it's a very um, Tom Cruise centric podcast. You know, and, and, and some of them are like <laughs> it, it, it is, <laughs> and some of them are people that went to Syracuse University. Oh, so kind of cheating. Yeah, totally. Yeah, night and day. Well, there we go. Yep. Go back to Tom Jesus, Cruise. It's all about Tom. Um, and then uh, it's so funny because my my buddy Steve, who has been on some of the shows with me, we were working at Santa Monica Studios. They had rented out one of the back their back studios, just an empty space for um, someone was training for a movie. Couldn't figure out who it was. And then it was like, I think it's Tom Cruise, whatever. And, and it's one of those things where like, when we would walk through the hall, hallway to see if we could see who it was. And one day we forgot about it. And just as I was walking in, walked down this really long hallway, Tom Cruise was walking in. And I'm walking wow. ne- walking next to him uh. and talking to him and just being like, hi. He's like, hi. I'm like, you have great hair. I don't know what to say. Uh, <laughs> and so my, my buddy was just like, yeah, he was like, he wasn't as tall. He, he wasn't tall. I'm like, no. Yeah. But but he people say he's tall, short, that kind of thing. 5'8"? I don't know. But when he turns it on you, though, you forget. You lose all sense of time and space. I didn't know because I, I, I'm almost six <laughs> foot. I thought he was taller than me. When he turns, it, you know, yeah. he turns and looks at you and yeah. just <laughs> hits you with the Tom, full uh-huh. Tom Cruise. You're uh-huh. like, holy shit. My wife, uh, she, uh, she goes, I don't know. I, I just not, This is, I think, right before we were starting shooting or, or during. And she says, I don't know. I just uh, I get Tom Cruise. Yeah. It's just never been my I see thing. That. Yeah, yeah. And then we went to dinner and he goes, huh. Your name's Shauna. He goes, hello, Shauna. Yeah. And she just melted. No, at the, yes. At the end of the dinner, he finally left, and she went. I get it now. I just, I'm, in, I love him. He's yeah. my favorite actor. He just Good. can yeah. turn it yeah. on. Yeah, that's a mark of a movie star. So, so charming, and then and. You know, I don't know if people don't give credit to, like, blockbusters and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe did he win an award for uh, Interview with a Vampire, maybe? or Oh, you mean Academy Awards? Yeah, but like just, that? yeah, just like even that or Golden Gold. But, like, yeah. you know, stuff that he does is, like, yeah. great. If He's you want to win an award for learning how to fly, fly a helicopter and then doing your own stunts, he should. He should Every, everything. He and should he does it all. It's it's crazy. If you watch the behind-the-scenes stuff for— Mission uh, Impossible? Yeah, the last when one. he's hanging out of the plane? Yeah. Oh no, the other one where he jumped out of the thing at what high you, altitude. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, seven months of training. Yeah, to do that the one halo thing. jump. It's insane. And what's crazy is you're watching it, and he does the jump, but they do, do the jump in the middle of the desert, and then they have to superimpose Paris underneath it. What the? Fuck? I know. So that's I, I, this thing right now. They're shooting Top Gun. Okay. Yeah. Right. And they're shooting for like another six months because he has to be. In the plane, which he's trained for, for the G-forces, and they can only go when the military will let them go up in these jets. Yeah. And he has to stay in shape to handle the G-forces yeah, right. when they say, okay, you can go now. So for the next four months, he's still training as if he's shooting every day to get the call to go up in the jet to shoot this thing. The guy is incredible. It's incredible. I, I'd, I'd like to think that I'd throw myself into it. I do. I throw myself I would be into like, my booze. Like, me yeah. too. Yeah. By the way, let's talk about that. Yeah. I, I would be too. I'd be like, there's plenty of wires and green screen in the stage right by my house we could do. And they show, yeah, and they show, um, <laughs> they show another little vignette of him when he shot Top Gun that he went up so many times. Yeah. And I think that's where he's like, you know. Well, he's a pilot. Yeah. But incredible. I mean, like, but he wasn't then. 
I think he became a pilot during the during shooting. That? That sh- I think he had so many flight hours, he, he just qualified. Um, you have, and I think I can talk about these. They're on IMDb, but Category 6. No, it's not happening. Don't believe the internet. Come on, man. I'll tell you what's coming up. I don't know if you're up. just, why are you winking? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll tell you what's coming up. What's coming up is I have. Humming, hummingbird, is that coming up? No. That had an I mean, actress changes or anything? No, no, no. Here's the thing. All these things are quote unquote real. This is the problem with my my, my life. Yeah. Nothing's real till I start shooting, right? So I probably have 50 things in development you could mention. And if I was in my 20s and at a bar and I yeah, was right. single, I'd yeah. be like, yeah, man, I'm making yeah. that movie. Right, right, right. right, right? right. Just, right. So yeah. loud enough for girls could hear yeah, back right. <laughs> 30 years ago when I came, <laughs> yeah. cared about that. Now I'm just, you know, I have a house. So I, if, yeah, it yeah. Doesn't, if the check doesn't clear, uh-huh. it's not real. Yeah, right. So what is real, what's coming up is we're, uh, we just finished shooting. Well, we have a movie called Haunt that's coming out in fall, which mm-hmm. Eli Roth and I produced a little horror Oh, wow, movie. cool. Little two million dollar horror movie. The guys who wrote Quiet Place wrote and directed it. Really, a really good movie. And then we just finished shooting a movie called Playing with Fire with John Cena, John Leguizamo, Keegan Michael Key, Judy okay. Greer. A very cool throwback family movie that took me fourteen years to get married. Okay. To get married. To get made. There you go. <laughs> you get to get married too. Slip. Yeah. Right. We just got Mortal Kombat greenlit uh-huh. finally, which has been a long road. So we're finally going to get a chance to make that. Uh, we start shooting that in Australia in October. James Wan is producing that with me, or I'm with him, however you look at it. And uh, we're just starting to cast that. And then I have another movie, um, hopefully another movie with John Cena that's going to start in the spring of next year. If you need like a body double for John Cena, right? I'll do it. I'll do it. I got to (laughs) say. It's weird. I don't care how this sounds. Yeah. We have a joke in the movie because Judy Greer is this, you know, pretty unflappable scientist. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, um, she's a scientist in the movie. And she, and uh, at one point, John Cena takes his shirt off in front yeah. of her. Yeah. And she literally said, I know I'm. I know I have a line, and I and I was behind the monitor going, I feel her. It, it's just, it's overwhelming. Yeah. He takes his shirt off. You're like, holy crap! Yeah. Wow, that is a that is a physique. Yeah, yeah. He is he is an incredible specimen, and the guy works his ass off uh-huh. in every part of the business. He works his ass off. Mm-hmm. He, he he trains hard, and he's such a good soul. Mm-hmm. I said, you know. I just want you to be comfortable because my whole thing of being a producer is I'm not producing my movies. I'm producing the movie mm-hmm. for the people that are in them mm-hmm. and for the people that are seeing them. So I always say to the actors, like, whatever I can do to make you comfortable, man, we're all in this together. We're, we're away from our families for three months, whatever I can do, man. He's like, all I need is a key to a gym and the person I'll sign whatever. And I just can go there anytime I want and I won't bother anybody. I'm just going to do my own thing. That was it. I'm like, holy shit. That's awesome. Okay. I mean, that guy shows up, knows his lines. I mean, always on time. Just He's just the best. He's one of the best guys I've ever worked with. You remember uh, Sahara, I think it was, right? That's sort of this whole uh, the cautionary Ma- tale. The McConaughey movie? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where he had two trainers and a tanning booth. Oh, did he? Yeah. And, oh, well, they just – then they released all the things that they – that, you know, like all the added oh, right, stuff. Oh, right, because there was like, a, was like a big lawsuit, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like testify right, why yeah. he needed a lot Well, I guess stuff. it was supposed to be, I guess the the numbers of the, how many copies they'd sold, they inflated right. that number. Right. And so they put all this money into the movie thinking that everyone that saw read the book would go see it and all that right. kind of stuff. So. I will say this. When you read a writer, you know, R-I-D-E-R, yeah, when right. you read it, it sounds like the person's a total asshole. Yeah, right. Like if you read, read rock stars writers, like fucking you know whatever. A certain so for people who don't know, like a writer is basically like an agreement or a piece of paper, or whatever that says all the things that they get that's in their in contract. their dressing room. Yeah, yeah. But you think about it, <clears throat> you you're on the road nine months. And you just want to go to a room that has like vodka and Lacroix and M&Ms and mm-hmm. whatever the yeah, and but, like a certain kind blue, of music. Blue M&Ms. Well, that's the Spinal Tap <laughs> See, joke, but yeah, <laughs> but or maybe or maybe you do because you're bored. You think it's funny, and you know, right, right, it's right, not right. killing anybody. Same thing with these things. When you read that out of context, the, the McConaughey thing. I know, I know Matthew very well. He's the best guy, so I know he's the most humble. No, yeah, guy. okay. Well, like yeah, the yeah. guy is in an action movie. Mm-hmm. He needs to be in shape. He probably cut a ton of weight. His trainer's probably like, if you don't work out every fucking day, it's going to go away. Oh, like, I'm, you know. sh- I'm sure. And you need to yeah. be tan because yeah. the movie's called Sahara. Yeah. So, I'm, so when you read – I'm not saying you're saying that. Yeah, but that, to, be, to be clear, I think he's amazing and, and, and it just shows sort of the differences you can have with a writer. Yeah. And understanding that like you're absolutely right. Like you're right. He needed to be in shape. He needed right. to have the, the tanning booth for the spray tan and all that right. kind of stuff. But. If I was doing a movie with Cena that was like <laughs> super action and super physical – it might be different. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I, I don't claim to – like The Rock, you know, that guy is it's a beast. He has – you know, he, everywhere he goes, he has a gym that he can go to. Right. He can just – and it's – and again, he can't go to an Equinox. It's like he's, the things he's doing are not 
are not things that you can just get. <laughs> right, right, right. Just specialized get on the treadmill equipment. And yeah, look yeah. Like that. yeah, yeah, exactly. So exactly. there are times where you need that trailer and things like that. So, and then American Werewolf. Yes, this, yes. I mean that right. again. We have it. No, look, look. We have it. It's we have a great script. We're looking for a director. We're hoping to make that movie. All right. So let's talk about for people not in the business. Let's talk about when you're saying we have the movie uh, and talk about your Broken Road Productions. Yes, the production company you started back in 2005. Yeah. So let's talk about like what you do. Like what okay. is what do you what do you do for a movie? What does a producer do? What do you do? Yeah, yeah. yeah, no. yeah. Well, again, I like I say, I, I wanted to be an architect, uh, and I think I've, now that's what I am, basically. So basically, what a, produ- a real producer does, because you know, look, there's all this bullshit executive mm-hmm. producer, co EV, all this stuff. You know, there's managers that are producers. There's right. people the, who put in money that are there's the, yes, there's there's a title of yeah, producer. Yeah, title that you get for not actually doing it. But then there's right. the people that are actually doing the work. And if you if you want to, if you go on cable, the worse the movie, probably the more producers that are on. Right, <laughs> Generally, right, yeah, like yeah. when you see these movies, you're like, how the hell did that? It's another Steven Seagal movie. It's probably 30 producers. Right. There because – a bunch of people put in money or they knew people or to get pe- – to cajole people to do things. They gave them a producer credit. Mm-hmm. That's that's a whole part of the business that pisses me off and I don't really talk about that much. The real producers that I know, the guys who really do the job, you know, we are like architects. We're finding, you know, finding properties. We're finding flat pieces of land mm-hmm. and, and figuring out what to do with that, those flat pieces of land. And those flat pieces of land are anything from articles to ideas to scripts to books to – other IP like remakes, like American Werewolf, things like that. And then we're taking them and then we are developing them and packaging them to the point where we can get some financier to put the money in, which would be like if you're building a house, would be the bank. Mm-hmm. So we have to do the plans, which is the script. We have to, you know, put the right people on, which is your contractors and your subs and those kind of things, which would be the directors and the actors and the people that are going to physically make the movie. And then at that point, when you have a script that's ready, you go to a, a studio or a financing entity or a rich uncle or somebody and you get the money to make the movie. And then that's where generally the rubber meets the road where I'm on set every day. Mm-hmm. I go there every day. I make sure everybody, you know, that's the only way I can know how to do it. And this would be for, for film. Or television. And, okay, And so, like, it's not the job of every producer to put the whole thing together and no. then stay there. But that's sort of a different, I think, is that is that where basically – like when you come in, are you coming in with your production company? Like, are you yeah. always representing your production company? Yeah, um, yeah. The the guys that I respect and know do it that way. Mm-hmm. They they, you know, they are there every day. They are boots on the ground. You know, it's it, and Rob Riggle and I have had a funny conversation about it. It's like a military operation. It mm-hmm. really is, and you need somebody there every day. You can't be back in Washington saying, "Oh yeah, take that hill." You have to be there and go. How do we? Right. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Is this the right move? Right. To, you know, because stuff happens every single day mm-hmm. that needs dealing with, and everybody knows their job. And what what I do on my sets is make sure that everybody knows they can come to me with anything. Anybody has a great idea, we'll take it. Always just trying to make trying to make the movie the best it can be. And I feel the only way you can do that is to be there every day. Mm-hmm. So every movie, something insane happens. In this last movie, Playing with Fire, we had an actor quit three weeks in. We still have no idea what the whole situation was. I think he got a better job and he went back to the Philippines and just left us. And then uh, Jeremy Renner broke both his arms three days into shooting tag. So it's like, if I'm not there... I don't. I can't really assess how the hell to use my, uh, you know, thirty years experience in the business to try to help solve that. How did you solve that with Renner? Uh-huh. Well, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the guy's a beast. First of all, mm-hmm. he's an amazing human being. He on that stunt where the chairs are going down and he's riding the chairs down. Yeah, he was in not, the gym. Yeah, yeah. He was not feeling the way that the rig was working, so he jumped off. What he didn't fully realize is he had pick points, which are where the harness was attached. Uh to his waist and so he flipped upside down and it's a decelerator so he didn't like drop to the floor but it was enough force that he broke both his arms wow so and that was day three day three so we lost half a day to get him x-rayed to find out you know it's fractures in his elbows and you can't do anything with it okay so we put him in 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 slings and we painted out his arms. We painted out the slings. And so if you watch the movie, he doesn't really extend very much. He doesn't really use his arms much. And when, in fact, when he's throwing the donuts, you can see he's kind of like an NL. You go back and watch the I'm movie. Not, I'll watch it again. Yeah, and you my, see, my friend owns it. <laughs> all right. And you see he's never really reaching out to tag anybody because his arms are always sort of at his sides because he broke both his arms. But okay. And we put green 
dots on them so that we could paint it all out. And was that always, did the story change a little bit to no. fit that? Oh, no, it just worked out. He was never tagged in the movie. Yeah, so right. He just had to, well, he just had to run him. Okay, don't, well, don't, don't give yeah, it no, away. No, I didn't, I didn't like, say he was or wasn't. The spoiler, <laughs> the spoiler embargo is not over. What is it? Mind. When does that lift? Uh, two, <laughs> <Yeah>. two years? <laughs> sure. <laughs> all right. So, if okay, if you weren't a producer... Well, let me let me let me let me let me build onto it. If you didn't live in LA, where would you live? Jeez, oh, you've always lived in LA. I've huh? always lived in LA, so uh, probably Austin, Texas. Okay, permanent. Like if you had to, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Well, because everyone I, everyone from LA is going in there anyway. Yeah, so, no yeah. doubt. There's a lot of reasons why, but for me, the biggest reason is there's just a lot of interesting f- people there, mm-hmm. and I don't really have that. I mean, I, look, I it's it's. It, the, in the Hollywood quote unquote friends thing, I have hundreds of friends, which mm-hmm. as you can see on my podcast, I have hundreds of friends. But my really good friends, most of them aren't in the business. You know, mm-hmm. I just have like really cool artists and really cool, you know, athletes and cool people. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I feel like Austin would be a good fit for me and mm-hmm. my family because there's artists there, there's tech there, there's there's some film there, and but it just seems like there's really cool people there. And so if you were now now you're you're there and you have a job. Let's just erase, like, let's say you're 30 right. and you're there and you, it's not entertaining. Like, what would you do? I'd be a real estate developer. I love architecture. I love. Ah, oh, right. There we go. I, that's why I came in. I, your house is amazing. Oh, I, thank I, you. I love it. I love the way it's laid out. I just love it's again, it's just the the way my mind works is I try I would build things that would, you know, people could enjoy later. Yeah. What movies are. And a uh, like a troop. Problem solver. I mean, that's yeah. what an architect has to deal with those things. Architect, contractor, real sure. estate developer, whatever. As well as you walking in to work every day, every not day. knowing how it's going to turn out. We shot a movie in uh, called True Memoirs of an International Assassin in D- the Dominican Republic. Okay, and it was it was the hardest thing I've ever done. First oh, that all, was with um, Kevin James. James. Yeah. yeah. Okay. First of all, everybody got sick. Because oh, it's just the, the food, water, the food situation, okay. yeah, and the, the water situation is not great there. But I love. I always try to stay in the same hotel of where the crew is, mm-hmm. and so every day I get in the elevator to go down, and I knew as soon as the doors open, there'd be someone standing in the lobby with some problem. Right. That was like seemingly insurmountable because we were in a third world country that lied to us and told us, oh, we can handle your movie, no problem, and they could not. But meanwhile, uh, on the surface, looks like paradise. Sure. Yeah. I mean, where we were shooting, we were in Santo Domingo. We weren't in Casa de Campo or any place like that. Uh-huh. We were in the in the thick of oh, it. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. But like even like the president lied to us. Oh. He goes, yeah, you can shoot in my palace. And it was walking through for the last scout two days before supposed to start shooting. Uh-huh. Not there, but in general. The questions that the aides were asking, I knew they didn't understand. Like they go, you know, you can't park too many cars in here. We have trailers yeah right right we're like an army yeah and i and i and i was like oh and they go you got it they from these hours and if the president walks by you go, you all have to go out of the building i'm like what this is I don't have don't have people have don't walk by. people do not understand yeah what, what's uh-huh. and i kept saying i don't think you guys have asked the right questions and as soon as we asked the one question of like here's what it looks like we're gonna have 15 trucks we're gonna open it up we're gonna have our own security we're gonna be wherever the hell there's gonna be wires everywhere they pulled the plug yeah so it's just the, every day is like that. But it's a but it's a testament to what you do for have people having people not understand right. how you get to that place. Right. If you see Kevin James walking through a hallway, then clearly it's just a camera guy in a hallway, oh, right? Yeah. You know That's what I mean? So easy. It's whatever right. whatever lighting. I don't even. I didn't think about the lighting or the right. sound, you know. It's just going right. d- deeper and deeper oh. and deeper. Yeah, I mean. There's 400 people that uh-huh. are moving to a different location every day. Yeah. And I'm responsible for all those 400 people. And so, you know, and I'm responsible in every way for them. You know, I'm responsible for the movie to look the way the studio wants it to look, for it to be on budget, for the director to have all the tools the director needs to be able to um, accomplish his or her vision, for the actors to feel comfortable enough to be their best and not have any bullshit on, on in any way, shape or form, the crew to feel safe, you know, for them to get enough rest to come back. There's so much every day that who goes do you on. T- who do you turn to? Or is that just, that's just the way that it is? Yeah. I mean, I turn to my wife and my kids basically, you know, and try to get home occasionally or have them come out. Yeah. And look, it, it, it is a partnership. Like I, you know, I love Jeff Tomsick who I did tag with. I love Andy Fickman who I did. 
um, who I did uh, Playing With Fire with, and I love Kevin James and Sandler and I have done. That's the other thing. I really love working with people again and again. I think I've done nine movies with Bruckheimer and 11 movies with um, – these numbers are probably not exactly right, but mm-hmm. I think of like 11 movies with Nicolas Cage and five now with Kevin and like 13 with Sandler as a producer or as an actor. So I really like working with the same people over and over again because mm-hmm. it just becomes like family and you want them to do well and you know their rhythms and you know how to you know make sure that they're getting the, you're getting the best out of them and they're feeling completely supported. And 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 at the end of the day, I mean it's it's a challenge but it's also fun, right? I mean you're you're oh, I love it. Like you wouldn't change it. No. Yeah. I mean, you know, and you said like we've made, you know, f- since 2005, we've made 20 movies. And so I've been all over the world. We've mentioned a bunch of the guests that you've had on your podcast. Really great people. I mean, you're you're doing the podcast not for the bajillions of dollars you make. There. Yeah, sure. The, the, no, definitely not doing it for the money. Yeah. Uh, I again, I, the I just want people to understand what I do mm-hmm. and understand what what it is, the how the business works, not just the movie business, but television, podcasting, mm-hmm. music. I just had Diane Warren on, and really for people that that don't have any access into it, to try, you know, just to go do it, and 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 to you only need to know one person. You're trying to convince people. No. On your podcast to to go and do what you do by no. you by you explaining what yeah, they do. Yeah, I'm not trying to convince I, anybody, but I'm I think the more that you explain what you do, the more <laughs> difficult and inaccessible it seems. Well, I'm not trying to convince anybody to yeah. do it. I just want to give people hope because if you read Deadline Hollywood, for example, mm-hmm. it feels hopeless. It feels like the business is shit, that only the few people are making money. You know, you read about, you know, Ryan Murphy making hundreds of millions of dollars and, and, and then everybody else, you know, that don't have agents anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like right. there's just so much negative news surrounding our business all the time. But I just thought I would just try to dispel some of the rumors, you know, the rumors and mm-hmm. just – Give people real facts and give people real stories from the front lines. Not like, not like bullshit. Like, oh, you know, the typical press that people do on mm-hmm. movies, where it's like you see, you know, something on a set and you go, "I could never do that." That's not true. Anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. They can. Well, thank you for coming and di- I guess di- dispelling some myths, <laughs> but create creating more. Um, and then, if you want to hear part two of this podcast, yes. just go over and listen to yours. Uh, it's called the Producer's Guide: Todd Gardner and the Hollywood Elite. With um, I think really maybe the reason you got into podcasting was to was so that I would actually come into your show. I love it. Thank you. This is going to be great. So amazing. We'll be back in a moment with more Zane's World. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors who bring our podcast to you free every week, specifically True Car. Beep, beep. Please support them because they support us. Find out more about our sponsors in the podcast description of this week's episode. It's his world. We're all just living in it. It's time for Zane's world. So, you guys, you can see why he leaves an impression on people. Yeah, yeah. You know how some people in Hollywood are like, you got to just like be an ass and you got to put yourself forward and you got to like um, – Drive, 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 and yeah. you never get are successful. Like the nice guy yeah. never gets ahead. Yeah. It's like, well, look at him. Like the nice guy got ahead here, right? I, I think you. Yeah, he I, is attitude driven. I know that's got him where he is. I think that you guys nailed it. I really think that. I really think that that's it. It's, it's this thing. It's like this. Hi, Mel. Hey. How was your event? Hot. Oh yeah, it's a hundred degrees oh. out here in L.A. Let's and be Ma- positive. And. <laughs> 17 or something. Where? Oh. Like at the end of the valley, it was 107. Wow. Wow. I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready oh. for this heat. <laughs> Mel, yeah, Mel is sweating and wearing <laughs> jeans. Um, I can't wear shorts yet. But you look great. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, I, and again, I think it's one of these things. I was at Bert's house the day after I did that interview, and I was talking about this guy, Todd Gardner, and, and Bert's like, I'm going to meet with Todd Gardner. Todd Gardner today like that day later and they sent a picture of the two of them together and it was and it was like amazing i'm like you know what's funny this is such a weird thing to say but todd and bert both have the same laugh it's this it's this laugh infectious it is infectious it's also like 
uh, ingratiating. It makes you appreciate, like, it just puts you in a good mood. Mm-hmm. And we, and I talked to Bert about this on his podcast. He knows this. He knows that, like, he is a person that people want to be around and he, he puts off energy that makes people want to be part of what mm-hmm. he's doing. And whether it's his stand-up act or the way he is in a, in a meeting or, or just in a conversation, it's like when you are around Bert, you want to be around Bert more. Mm-hmm. That's just the way that it is. So, And I think Todd is the same way. And I think that's why you guys have a lot of friends. And that's why you guys are my only friends. All right. So, <laughs> Hey, I'll be your personal coach today. And come on now. I'm just easy. You are right. the same way. We're going to finish off that discussion after we go down a, a much different path <laughs> here. Uh, this is an interview with the creators and writers of uh, 22 Hours, An American Nightmare. And they sent me their podcast to listen to. It's a 40-hour podcast to listen to uh, before I did my interview with them. Mm. And they're new to Podcast One, and you can you can listen to this this podcast on Podcast One. It's a serial. It's like a true story. True about, crime True story. crime. Horrible, horrible crime. Did you listen to the whole thing? Well, 40 hours? No, it's, did I say hours? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. 40, it's called 22 Hours. The podcast was 40 minutes. So it was a 40-minute podcast about this gruesome murder and using clips and TV clips and voiceover and radio clips and all this kind of – it was just so incredibly well done and so incredibly well written. I woke up that morning at 5.30 because I knew I had stuff to do. So I woke up at 5.30 a.m., had my coffee on my computer, playing the podcast in the background – it got to a point where I couldn't even continue writing because I was too engrossed in this podcast. <laughs> you're just sitting, listening, like you're reading a book. It was, it, it was amazing. And when, if you guys like an, like a audible book, audio, audio book. No, it's it's a it's a podcast. Like a detective, it's, it's right? Be, it's better than an audio book, and I've always felt that that audiobooks, You know, if you ever heard audiobook, yeah. like you can hear them read by great. Mm-hmm. people whatever i always wondered like why didn't they just go a little extra step and and put in like different voices for people and, and a narrator <laughs> yeah. and like if they're on the ocean just like seagull sounds wouldn't that be it so much like more? it's almost like watching a movie or just listening to a movie this yeah. is this is just like watching a documentary but they know that you're taking it in uh audioly audioly you just created that word but yeah <laughs> audibly <laughs> They know that you're taking it in through your ears, not your eyes. And so, and so they're being very descriptive of, of, about everything that's happening. So this is amazing. So check out this and then stay. We're going to run up our, our, our upbeat conversation because after this, you might need it. So this is uh, my interview with 22 Hours, an American Nightmare. So I have the creators of 22 Hours, an American Nightmare here with me via remote. Where, where are you guys right now? We're in D.C. D.C. Okay. Oh, my God. You're, you're where? Okay. So I, I am riveted right now. As I told you this before, we started recording. I listened to your podcast this morning. What I listened to from, from you guys was this crime that happened in, in D.C., I assume not very far from where you guys are right now then, right? Because it's not a very big place. Not too far at all. And it was, it's a kind of a really well known area of Washington, D.C., one of the wealthiest areas. It's just right around the corner from where the vice president's official residence is, a bunch of, um, you know, fabulously expensive embassy residences. Um, and it's not the, you know, typical place where D.C. police are responding to a quadruple murder. I mean, I don't want to give too much away because people have to listen to your podcast because. It is so well done. But before I go into that, we'll explain what the crime was. It's basically someone reported a house fire that turned out to be a covering up, I guess, a quadruple murder. Right. I mean, it's interesting. The prosecutor said they called it a case that nightmares are made of. Basically, a wealthy businessman, his wife, their 10-year-old son. Described by their neighbors as being just affable, normal, nice people. Yeah. And a to- in, a, in the middle of a totally normal day, too, which is also a little bit haunting about it. Right. And also their housekeeper end up being held hostage for 22 hours, hence the name of the podcast, tortured and then killed inside the house. And then the house was set on fire. And then in the midst of the entire thing, they were extorted uh, for $40,000. There was a money drop in the middle of it. And they're making calls out. We have voicemails that the victims made to people who they knew who had no idea no, based that, on that is, like, that's, the voice. And that's the creepiest that thing. It was crazy. And the smoking gun is a piece of pizza, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. They found uh. the DNA evidence for well, the don't killer. Tell don't, tell, don't, don't tell people. Don't tell people because they, they have to listen to your podcast. Because, I'm in a calzone. I, yeah. <laughs> so what I listened to this morning, I believe it was about 40 minutes, right? Yeah. It doesn't seem like 40 minutes because I was glued to it. As I explained to you before, I was like – I was going to have it playing in the background while I did other work. But because there was so much information and I – 
and it was presented in such a, a fantastic way, like rolling out the information bit by bit. Um, and I'm not saying teasing, but I, I think it was very smartly laid out. Um, it was impossible for me to do anything else besides just listen to your podcast. So it was amazing. Yeah, we started, we started sort of like you're in, you're with firefighters, like as they're responding, you're hearing their calls. Yeah. You're listening, listening the, on the radio. The yeah. Yeah. And then they kind of realize, oh my God, this isn't a normal fire. You know, there are these these four victims that I can't even get a grasp on. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it just, you start to kind of, you sort of realize as the firefighters are realizing it, how horrible this thing is. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a lot because of, you know, the evidence that was made available to us to use and all the documents we have and stuff. It, it lent us like all this detail that we could just flood these podcasts. With. Is any of that like um, public domain or do you, did you have to like worry about, I guess if, I guess if you went through the trouble of getting it, it was clearing it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff um, in the first episode, like the um, radio transmissions from the fire department, those were introduced at the trial. And so once, you know, pieces of information are introduced, a, a trial is public. So then that information becomes, Got you know, it. public record as well. And the good thing is the U.S. Attorney's Office for D.C. is fairly transparent. So once something is involved in a trial, if you go through their public affairs office, they are very good about, you know, providing that information. So that said, it still is D.C. So it's not like I mean, the bureau right. yeah, sure, sure, sure. things right <laughs> it is has been a little tricky. Hence why it's taken us a couple months to put this thing together. But um, we have a lot. So it was it's a, it's a little overwhelming when you're putting it together yourself. I but, can imagine. Um, and I have been working on this and we're really proud of it. And so, Megan, you were there. You were covering this story as a journalist at the time. Yeah. And yeah, so, I'm a I'm a radio reporter here in D.C. for okay. WTOP is a news radio station here, and we both work for WTOP. But I covered the six week trial. I mean, I covered the crime when it happened, uh -huh. sort of you know following all the documents being released, little tidbits, and then the six week trial. You know, D.C. courts don't let you record anything inside, so I would sort of pop out. You know, when we got a lunch break and with my hair on fire trying to file things for the air, but I would call Jack. And just make sure we were on the same page. He was doing the web version of, of the story I was doing that day. You know, this is what we learned. But what we ended up doing was recording our conversations, mostly so we were on the same page and we had the same facts. But it, we looked back on it and it be, became this audio diary that we can reference. And it's interesting sort of to, you know, be a reporter. And as a reporter, you're not really supposed to have feelings about anything. You know, you're supposed to be completely objective. Yeah. After that autopsy, you know, the autopsy day, I called Jack and I'm like, oh my God, like, how am I going to do this? I mean, it, it was a very real moment that I think I would have completely forgotten had we not have recorded it. It sort of speaks to, throughout the whole podcast, there's a little bit of how we did it, you know, laced into it because it was kind of inescapable, really. And so are clips of that in in the podcast? Did I hear those and just didn't pay attention? Like, are, are some of those conversations, or are you just, did you just use those as references to sort of string the whole thing together? So a little bit of both, but we actually do use the the actual phone calls that we made in later episodes. Okay. So when, we, when we get into like covering the trial, we use a lot of those conversations we were having in part because the trial was very complex. And in those calls, you hear us kind of puzzling out like, well, this witness said this, and that really doesn't make sense with, you know, so we're kind of, we're, we want to bring the listener along because when we experienced this trial, when we learned all this information, it wasn't just handed to us like, here's all the facts. In order, by date and color. Like, you know, like right. chronologically. You yeah. know, so we want to bring the listener that experience of trying to piece together this mystery in a way. And how many episodes is this? Is it 22 hours? <laughs> how many episodes? How many episodes are there about this crime? We were thinking about that. So it is, it's 10 episodes. Okay. We were thinking, gosh, even if you listen to it and you sat down and listened to 10 episodes straight away, you still wouldn't even be half the time that that family was held <laughs> right. against Oh my God. That's, it's just that's unbelievable. Yes. That's a horrible, but yet amazing reference. The whole thing is just so, it's, it's chilling. And as I was saying before, I was thinking if, if I was in that husband's position, Mm -hmm. How would I, ha you know, we all play this out in our heads um, and want to be these 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 movie screen heroes and think that we wouldn't let ourselves be pulled into that position where your entire family is duct taped and, and bound. But you don't know until you've gone through it. And this is a guy that went through it. And, and this is kind of his story pieced together from all these sources, like hearing his voicemail from the night before was pretty chilling. And so let's talk about the arduous task of taking all of this information and putting together 
in radio because, you know, I, I do this for TV. So I, I've produced several TV shows, but I always have a visual reference. And mm-hmm. so one of the things like when you're listening in the very, very beginning when the guy is have is he having his lunch or he goes and he's and he's yeah. sees the fire and yeah he's calling he sees the house and calls 911 yeah but like just just making sure to include details about the word lunch and so that you understand that it's daytime like there's a lot of things that you guys had to be descriptive on that we would just take for granted if it was if if it was video so like you had to have started from thousands of minutes of material so how did you work with that it's interesting because coming from a t- I was TV before as well, and, and it's almost limiting in a way because you can only really speak to what people can see. Yeah. Whereas audio, it's sort of like the theater of the mind, if you will. Yeah. And, and we kind of have not unlimited time, but we have more time to add that detail and we have the sound to kind of pull us through and, and support it. But finding the context for all of this, I think, was the challenge because like Jack just said, we did get these details, but it was like I, I compared it to like shredding a piece of paper and then just like throwing it all over the floor like confetti and then trying to put it back together. It was <laughs> had all the details, but putting them in the order and what day they happened and, and the time stamps and all that stuff was difficult. A lot of Google Docs, I think, is the answer to your question. Yeah, right. So you, could, so you guys could work together at the same time on the same stuff, right? Yeah. And organize and, and it. it's funny. Like, he remembered some details I didn't because we both took notes when we were going through the trial. But um, it's also a lot of referencing, for, like, previous reports. And it's a very uh, complex answer to your question. Thinking of the through line. So one um, kind of a recurring motif that we explore throughout the podcast is this idea of the American dream, because this family had seemed to achieve that. You know, they had this beautiful house. The father was a successful businessman. They were a wonderfully loving, happy family. It seemed like they were living the dream. And then you have this crime, which is, you know, every family's worst nightmare. And when we in later episodes, when we talk more about the perpetrator, this idea of wanting the American dream, because we know the crime was committed in in large part to get this large amount of money that he didn't have that he really wanted. How was oh, it wasn't wanted? for the forty thousand? It was bigger. Well, we don't know exactly how much he wanted, but that okay. also speaks to putting yourself in the in the dad's position yeah. because we think a lot of the calls that were made and even the amount of money that he got out of the bank, out of his company's um, bank account, was so it wouldn't raise any red flags. So he could get out of there with his family safely and be like, just walk away, man. You know, like, just just let us live. And in the end, that's not what happened. It's hard because we don't know what happened in that house. We know the calls that were made out, but... For that 22 hours, it was, you know, it was dark. So there's 10 episodes that are rolling out every week. Is there a new episode? Yeah, every Monday we're going to release a new episode. So the first one comes out June 10th and then from then on. And then depending on, you know, if we get more interviews, it still is not, we're still working on it actually. Uh So if we get new interviews or new information or things change, we're just going to continue to add. So the content is really driving how many, you know, how many episodes this is going to be. So is is there is there another crime that you guys have your your sights on once this one's wrapped up? Oh my gosh, I don't even know if we can think that far ahead. There's always a possibility, okay. I guess, but it's kind of hard to take your eyes off the ball at this point. Yeah, you know? yeah, because you're still because you're still in the middle of it. It's not like the whole thing's done and the movie's done and you guys are talking about it. You guys are in the middle of still making this. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because we know we know how the crime ended. We know how the trial of the person who was was charged with the crime. We know how that trial ended, but we don't know how this podcast ends. To be, to be quite <laughs> honest, so we're we're still kind of working on that. Well, I admire what you guys are doing. I have an idea of the amount of work that you guys are putting into it, but it's probably more than I can even imagine. So uh, well done. And thank you for, for doing this kind of thing so that, you know, it's it's there's entertainment there. But I think there's also just a reminder for people about how precious life is and how it can all be lost in an instant. So I think that's something that, that you you can't help but take away. Even if it was not your intention, you can't help but walk away with that in your mind. I agree. I, I couldn't have said it better. We try to, you know, tell this story. You know, it's people who lost their lives. Mm-hmm. So it's not entertainment. It's we're trying to do it respectfully. Right. It's, it does make you think about your, yourself, what you would do and how, how fragile life is. Thank you so much for doing this. And thank you for taking the time to uh, to sit down and, and, and talk with me. And the name of the show is 22 Hours, An American Nightmare, which is available on Podcast One and on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, thank Dane. You. 
Okay, so you guys didn't get to hear it, but you heard me talk about it, and you you have to understand. I think you can get the the picture of how like sort of engrossed intent. That is it. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. It's tense. The entire experience is is tense. <laughs> it's entertaining. I say entertaining, and I think and, and maybe they. I said that in the interview, and I think that they maybe took that wrong because they said it's entertainment, but it's also there's takeaway. Like you learn, like you better be careful of who you let in your house, that kind of thing, because whatever. But like you got through the whole. The whole crime in in forty minutes, mm-hmm. but then there's then there's ten more episodes, and they're not even done writing, so they don't even know there might oh, be forty. Okay. They, they, there might be forty hours of you know or twenty two hours of this thing. So, so is it a real story, true story, or a, no? yeah, 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 no, yeah, it's, yeah. A, true it's a true horrible story. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my god, um, it's it's similar to like the pop culture serial, right? Uh, right. And the hard part about serial is that you don't have a completion at the end of the series. Like, you don't know if he's actually innocent or if he's actually guilty, right? I, yeah. Like, do you think? Did this, they at least tell you that we'll have a conclusion at the end? Yes. Well, no, no. <laughs> Inside of this, the first 40 minutes, there's a conclusion. They caught the guy. They tried the guy. He's guilty. That's it. So, oh, okay. So, th- so that was just episode one. one. Okay. So I thought it was a two-parter. And they're like, no, yeah. it's a 10-parter. I'm like... And, they, and So then what happens in the other eight or nine parts? The whole point is they're like, how can one guy pull this off? Okay. And, and the smoking gun, too, at the end of the day... Is a piece of pizza. You'll get to it. If you listen to it, you'll hear. It's like, like my dream. Like, <laughs> I love pizza. I love true crime. I like can't no. wait to listen to okay, it. It was horrible. Okay, well, it's horrible. But you should listen. So yeah, the guy's saliva that was taken off of the DNA in his saliva was found on the pizza that the guy ordered because he was there for twenty two hours. <gasps> Holy crap! I feel like maybe we should cut this out because what if you just spoil something? No, it's not. It's, a tri- it's not t- a spoiler. No, because listen to it. The okay. whole thing. The whole thing is amazing. That's I don't. It great. wasn't necessarily. I think it was a smoking gun, but it wasn't like the conclusion. It was like yeah. because they assume that most people have actually heard this story before because oh, it's because okay. it's been it's been out there. So anyway, segue wrapping up the whole <laughs> okay, show on it. positivity. <laughs> okay. How do you Very guys positive. stay so positive? <laughs> uh, I think we already covered that, buddy. I'm just trying to be positive. <laughs> All right. I am positive that this is a very interesting episode of Zane's World. Thank you very much, uh, Erica and Steve, who have been off the podcast for a bit, but are, are, are coming back in mm-hmm. with, with a vengeance. Yeah, I hope so. Coming back. With positivity. Not that Mel, positive. not that Mel's not positive. I don't want to. Con- I don't want that to be the of point is, of this. Yeah. She's just posi- All of us are. She's just positively crazy. About it's cats. just tools that we that we use. Hey, right. please don't say tool. He can hear you. <laughs> All right, <laughs> positive tool. You are. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Please uh, share this with your friends. Have them listen. That's how we grow and know what you guys want to hear. Thanks for listening to Zane's World. Check out new episodes every Wednesday exclusively at Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Be sure to tell your friends and don't forget to leave us a rating and review. Need a little boost to your self-esteem? Then check out Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan on Podcast One. I'm so grateful to have you here with me. Join the upbeat entrepreneur as she helps you figure out the keys to success, from crushing it like Gary Vee to finding self-fulfillment with comedian-turned-life coach Lisa Lampanelli. And I get out of the car and go, if they see me walking into the tanning place with no makeup on, a house coat and slippers, they're going to be like, she really has fallen. And worse, she has a freaking Nissan Sentra. Download new episodes of Creating Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan every week on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet.